Christmas can be a very special time, but it can also be a very stressful time. And given everything that has been going on this year, who knows what will unfold this holiday season? What if, for once, we just relaxed and gave ourselves permission to focus on what really matters? Welcome to the Calm Christmas Podcast with me, Beth Kempton. Just like my book of the same name, I hope the Calm Christmas Podcast inspires connection, belonging, self-care, nourishment and joy and a little bit of festive magic. "'Twas the week before Christmas, when all through the house chaos is reigning,' noted my spouse. The stockings were empty, no shopping yet done. The moor was a battle that could not be won. The children were nestled so snug in their beds, no thought of my angst in their sweet sleepy heads. Their dad with his coffee and me a nightcap, both of us needing a long winter's nap. As I pulled out the saucepans with a bang and a clatter, he sank into a chair asking, what is the matter? I stopped and I sighed, the mince pies could wait. I've so much to do and I've left it too late. What counts, he said wisely, is hoping for snow, believing in magic wherever you go. The tree you dressed with such great care, the music and laughter, the moments we share. We'll make a plan for what matters most, then on Boxing Day we'll eat cheese on toast. A couple of gifts chosen with love, the promise of a sleigh on the roof above. No one will notice what doesn't get done when Christmas rolls round and we all have such fun. More rapid than eagles my worries they came. I whistled and shouted and called them by name. The food, the money, the family fight, the headaches, the worry. Will it be all right? To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Dash away worries, dash away all. My fears Christmas dinner won't be up to scratch. Or I'll make sweet biscuits and burn the whole batch. Too many humans in one tiny space. I hope they don't notice the look on my face. My husband, he laughed and said, Oh, my dear, let's relax and have fun while we prep this year. We'll, we'll share the load and have a quick sherry. We'll cook together and all will be merry. Laying a finger aside of his nose, then giving a smile from the armchair he rose. He sprang to his feet with a seasonal whistle and raced to my side like the down of a thistle. His arms closed around me, his face out of sight. A calm Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. <laughs> that is a poem that I wrote inspired by the famous A Visit from St Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore, which appears in the UK version of my book, Calm Christmas. The poem not that I wrote, not the original poem, of course, which a lot of us know as The Night Before Christmas. And I wrote my version to capture the sense of panic that so often dawns ahead of Christmas when we think about all the stuff we have left to do, when really, if we can just remember that it's all about love and it doesn't have to be perfect, then we can relax a little. Hello and welcome to episode eight for the love of Christmas food. I should warn you that this episode might make you hungry. In fact, it probably will. There is so much to talk about that Christmas food could be its whole own podcast. And maybe that's an idea for next year. After all, food is the axis around which Christmas spins for so many of us. Today, though, I want to focus on a few key things. I want to share some food writers who bring Christmas goodies to life for me as inspiration and a way to get close to the season. I'm going to be talking about some Christmas food and drink around the world, plus one or two of my own favourite recipes. 
We're talking about taking the stress out of Christmas food. And of course, we have our usual festive origin section and my getting ahead tips for this week. So pour yourself a lovely cup of something and let's get started. One of my all-time favourite books about Christmas food is actually quite a recent book. It's food writer Nigel Slater's The Christmas Chronicles, and it's packed full of atmospheric reflections on the season and a host of delicious recipes. So let's begin with Nigel's thoughts on eating winter, the food of fairy tales. Gingerbread biscuits with icing like melting snow. Steaming glasses of glow wine savoury puddings of bread and cheese, and a goose with golden skin and a puddle of apple sauce. There are stews of game birds with twigs of thyme and rosemary, fish soups the colour of rust, and baked apples frothing at the rim. Winter is the time for marzipan-filled stolen, thick with powdered sugar, pork chops as thick as a plank, and rings of Cumberland sausage sweet with dates and bacon. The flavours of winter come at us like paper-wrapped presents in a Christmas stocking. Ginger, aniseed, cardamom, juniper and cloves. The caramel notes of maple syrup, treacle, butterscotch and the damp muscovado sugars. Fruits dried on the vine and preserved in sugar. Ingredients too that hold the essence of the cold months. Red cabbage, russet apples, walnuts, smoked garlic, chestnuts, parsnips and cranberries. Winter cooking is clouds of mashed potato flecked with dark green cabbage, roasted onions glistening like brass bed knobs, and parsnips that crisp and stick molasses-like to the roasting tin. The food of the cold months is fatty cuts of meat, the flanks, shins and cheeks that we can leave to braise unhindered in a slow oven, with onions and thyme, wine and woody herbs plodding silently toward tenderness. Meat you could cut with a spoon. Winter cooking is ham with a quince paste crust, Game birds with red currant jelly, treacle sponge and Lebkuchen, mince pies and marmalade tarts. Winter food is about both celebration and survival. It's about feasting, roast turkey, plum pudding and fruitcake. Frugality, bean soups and mugs of miso broth. It's the food of hope, lentil soup for good luck on New Year's Day. And the food of love, the mug of hot cardamom spiced hot chocolate you make for a loved one on a freezing day. I love what Nigel says in that last part, that Christmas food is not just about the luxurious sweet things that come to mind, or the rich mains, or the steaming alcoholic beverages. It's also about the nourishing things that often don't cost much but see us through, keep our immune system healthy, our bodies cared for, and our spirits up. For me, that's about stews and soups and a slow cooker chilli and a batch cooked curry I pop in the freezer so I know we have a good meal at the end of a long cold day. And there's something about winter that makes the little treats extra special. I once surprised my parents with tickets to a Christmas carol concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London. They thought it was just the two of them, but when they got there I was already in the next seat along, having smuggled a bottle of red wine and a tin of mince pies in at the bottom of my handbag. As the lights went down and the singing began, we all tucked into our crumbly, buttery mince pies, agreeing afterwards that eating them under the cover of darkness made them taste even better. For my children, it's probably homemade hot chocolate with whipped cream and extra marshmallows to warm cold hands after running around outside. And I love a glass of hot mulled wine or a warming ginger tea whilst writing out my Christmas card list. 
When it comes to the big day, you can read all about how a chicken pie saved our Christmas in my book, Calm Christmas and a Happy New Year. In researching that book, I asked people of 37 different nationalities about their favourite food and had all sorts of replies, as you might imagine. Bacon stolen off the top of the turkey, the annual batch of homemade limoncello, clove-studded ham with spiced red cabbage, devilled eggs, cookies, smoked salmon, crispy roast potatoes and parsnips with lashings of gravy, eggnog, mulled cider, grandma's cranberry sauce, the mother-in-law's mac and cheese pumpkin pie and many more. Holiday food is a source of pride and an expression of love, while Christmas dinner is probably the most anticipated meal of the year for many people. Answer me this, what's the one food or drink item that represents Christmas for you? Why not this year make an event of trying a few versions of it to evolve your own food tradition? Okay, so if you said turkey, you're probably not going to cook turkey five times in the run-up to Christmas. But you might experiment with what goes in the gravy or the way you cook your favourite side to accompany it, for example. In my house, we are having the great mince pie off this year, where we're going to identify five or six of the most delicious sounding recipes from our favourite chefs and bakers and put them all to the test to find our favourite one. And then we're going to pitch the winner against my grandma's recipe, the one of my childhood mince pies, and see where we get to. I adore the idea of holding on to the old recipes and bringing them out every year. But I also love the creativity of today's chefs and bakers with all sorts of different ingredients available to them that weren't around in my grandma's day. So I'm open to evolving tradition. And if we can make it fun in the process, all the better. While I was researching Calm Christmas, I came across a lovely collection of Elizabeth David's scribblings about Christmas, simply called Elizabeth David's Christmas. And in it, she said this. If I had my way, which I shan't, my Christmas day eating and drinking would consist of an omelette and cold ham and a nice bottle of wine at lunchtime and a smoked salmon sandwich with a glass of champagne on a tray in bed in the evening. This lovely, selfish, anti-gorging, un-Christmas dream of hospitality, either given or taken, must be shared by thousands of women who know it's all Lombard Street to a China Orange that they'll spend both Christmas Eve and Christmas morning peeling, chopping, mixing, boiling, roasting, steaming. That they will eat and drink too much, that someone will say the turkey isn't quite as good as last year, or discover that the rum for the pudding has been forgotten that by the time lunch has been washed up and put away, it will be tea time, not to mention drink or dinner time, and tomorrow it's the weekend and it's going to start all over again. To be fair, it's not just women these days, of course, but I think that description of Christmas food preparation probably still holds true for many people decades after Elizabeth David wrote it. Today, I'd like to share a few tips for stress-free festive food preparation in the hope that it means you get more time to actually eat it and enjoy it and less time worrying about it. I was inspired last year by my friend and chef Stephen Lamb, who's an expert on curing and smoking and taking simple ingredients and making them last longer. Last Christmas, he posted a picture of an incredible cured fish, the colours of a blood orange, on his Instagram at lambposts with the comment, this is one of my favourite combinations to make. Cold smoked beetroot cured wild salmon with creamy homemade labneh went down a storm with a glass of fizz on Christmas morning. Making things ahead is one great way of reducing the stress on Christmas Day. Here are some others. 
if you are going to be having people over or you're going to be making several different meals around Christmas time that are a little bit special, then why not map out each event for which you plan to cook, whether that's alone or with other people, and decide on a little menu for each one. And remember to include breakfast, lunch and snacks if guests are going to be staying for several days. Be sure to ask them in advance about any special dietary requirements and preferences as well. If thinking about hosting makes you feel anxious, then try to find ways to simplify your plans or rope in some support. If you find cooking everything a bit too stressful, then why not ask yourself which specific item you most associate with Christmas? And you could ask your guests that as well. And then focus on that particular thing or just a small group of things and ask whether you can make it yourself with love or buy the very best version of it that you can afford. And then outside of that, you can let go of peripheral fare that no one really is that bothered about. And that will save you time, energy and money. Of course, you can encourage your guests to contribute something such as wine or dessert. Make sure you're specific about what you need so you don't end up with three of one thing and nothing of something else. And they don't have to guess. If you have a large family, you might want to consider organising a Christmas dinner fund so everyone puts some money in and then whoever's hosting gets to use that. And of course, um, if money is tight, plant-based dishes do tend to be cheaper than meat or fish. Um, So even if you do a small roast, you could be extra generous with sides um, to fill plates and it will still feel like a really special feast if you take extra care with the table settings and lighting and of course if you radiate festive spirit. It can be a good idea to write a complete list of all the ingredients you need for those menus and then to check your cupboards before you go to the supermarket or the shops or wherever you're going to buy your food. It's really obvious, but how many times have you, I know I have, uh, gone to the shop to do the Christmas shopping and can't remember whether you've got cranberry sauce, if that was something you were going to buy instead of make this year, and then you realise you've got five jars of it in the fridge because you only ever eat cranberry sauce on Christmas Day. (laughs) So check your cupboards um, and then do your shopping. And of course, when you're compiling your list, remember to include some ingredients for things like healthy breakfasts, you know, frozen fruit for smoothies, that kind of thing, um, to give everyone a good start to the day. Where possible, shop locally. I think that's more important than ever this year. Um, And also buying direct from growers, bakers or independent shopkeepers gives you an opportunity to chat and learn about what you're buying. And that makes it so much more special when it comes time for the meal. And of course, food banks are needing our help ever more Um, than usual so if you can afford it why not add a few extras to your list and donate them too and then when it comes to cooking put on your favorite apron and some festive music perhaps rape in some help if you can and try to enjoy it you know um, a tip I learned at Leith's cookery school in London which has served me very well um, ever since is to make a simple timeline counting backwards from when you want to serve Um, It makes all the difference. And then if you want to, you could set an alarm on your phone for when each component needs to come out of the oven, that kind of thing. And if you plan it correctly, the cooking itself ends up being a lovely mindful experience as you melt into the smells, sights, textures, sounds and of course, tastes of your bubbling dishes. And then when it comes to serve, you might want to consider setting up some festive party stations if you're having guests so they can help themselves to drinks and snacks before the main event and you can concentrate on getting all the pieces of it together. 
And you might want to serve the meal itself in large bowls or on platters maybe, or dishes straight from the oven, uh, buffet style, so that people can help themselves and your table is filled with lovely steaming goodness. And then when the time comes, you know, even if you've forgotten the sprouts or um, whatever it is that threatens to um, ruin the perfect Christmas, remember that that word is banned (laughs) around Christmas in my house. Um, When the time comes, remember that what it's really all about um, is just being together um, and spending that precious time um, and being grateful for all the goodness in your life. So just try to relax. Everyone is there because they want to spend time with you and they are grateful for your effort, whether or not they articulate that. And for a lot more festive food ideas and tips, you can take a look at my book, Calm Christmas and Happy New Year. I'd also like to share some other um, festive food recommendations in terms of books because I just adore um, Christmas cookbooks and I have many. Uh, So here are my picks of them that you might enjoy. Uh, New York Christmas Recipes and Stories by Lisa Nieschlag and Lars Wentrup is a gorgeous book. It captures a wintry New York in stunning photos alongside festive recipes like candy cane cupcakes, cornbread muffins with parmesan and sesame, apple pie with walnuts and cranberries. Mmm, sounds so good. Um, There are also some lovely Christmassy stories in there from guest writers and it's a treat that I've given as a gift on several occasions. Um... Another brilliant one is Delia Smith's Christmas. I've actually got two of these on my bookshelf. I'm not sure why. Um, It's a book from the BBC. It's a bit old now, um, but to me, it's the classic recipe book for all traditional British Christmas food. It's hard to beat Delia, to be honest. Um, And it includes a complete countdown for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Lots of other British celebrity chefs have brought out Christmas books in recent years. Uh, My favourites among them for their inspiring but accessible recipes would be Jamie's Christmas from Jamie Oliver, Nigella's Christmas from Nigella Lawson and Gizzy's Seasons Eatings by Gizzy Erskine. The book looks gorgeous, um, that Gizzy's Seasons Eatings. Highly recommend. Um, Florist Sarah Raven's Complete Christmas Food and Flowers is a beautiful book um, offering a wonderful combination of decorating and eating ideas. And I absolutely love Winter Cabin Cooking by Lizzie Kamensky. Makes me want to hop on a plane to Canada or Switzerland and rent a snowy cabin for the holidays. I also love the Borough Market cookbook. In fact, reading about winter at the market makes my heart ache for the way that producers and so many in the hospitality industry have been affected by the pandemic this year. And actually buying a cookbook is a great way to support a chef or a restaurant has been impacted by closure or cancelled events, just as signing up for a veg box or shopping locally can help support producers who've been hit by the pandemic so hard this year. Here's a snippet from the Borough Market cookbook and you'll see why I love it so much. The mere mention of winter brings to mind Norwegian furs, mistletoe, mulled wine and figgy pudding. Borough Market embraces that traditional vignette and then some. Lights, fruits and foliage frame the old iron architecture. The market's choir provides a tuneful backdrop of carols and hymns. Traders sport festive woolly jumpers and Santa hats, while fairy lights add merriment and warmth, and there's a whiff of mulled wine and cider around each corner. Small wonder, then, that many Londoners make a pilgrimage to the market to pick up groceries and gifts for loved ones and themselves. Lines form at the butchers for family-sized turkeys, geese and ribs of beef, as well as smaller but similarly premium joints. With around 20 cheesemongers, 
there's no better place to pick up a platter to last the entire holiday season. December tis but one month though, and while the frenetic pace of the festive period slows a little once the new year begins, other edible treats continue to arrive through January and February. Citrus fruits truly come to the fore as the year turns. Bergamots, clementines, tangerines and mandarins are joined by oranges from Seville, which beg to be boiled for marmalade, and blood oranges with their crowd-pleasing sharpness and shocking red centres. Their vivid colour and flavour are matched, exceeded even, by eye-catching sticks of pink rhubarb from Yorkshire. Many autumnal vegetables continue through these cold months, with parsnips, Jerusalem artichokes and swedes arguably at their peak, the freezing nights and frosty mornings encouraging their sweeter notes. Sprouts, sprout tops and flower sprouts prove themselves to be for life, not just as a trimming for turkey. And winter squash, which confusingly arrived in autumn, is still going strong, now alongside red cabbage, purple kale and a full Pantone strip of pink and purple bitter leaves. Winter is a time of stark contrasts, of generosity and celebration, but also resourcefulness. A desire to feast, but also to eat light, sprightly food too. And though much of nature's bounty is deeply savoury and muted, the sweet fruits of the season are sharp and feisty. Happily, the stalls and stands of underneath the railway arches off London Bridge have all aspects covered. Isn't that wonderful? Love it. I also highly recommend the Irish Country Women's Association Book of Christmas, filled with recipes, advice, blessings and traditions for the perfect Irish Christmas. You know how I feel about the word perfect, but other than that, it's a delight and includes memories of Christmases past in rural Ireland. Growing up, my mum always had a copy of Beaton's Book of Household Management, edited by Mrs Isabella Beaton, and first released in 1859. It's written in a wonderful old font with lots of uppercase and serifs, and you can see a slight shadow around the letters where the typewriter keys hit the paper. She's a recipe for plain plum pudding for the children in there, and one for a very good plum pudding for the grown-ups. Kind of makes you feel sorry for the children. Uh, the attention to detail of the book is astonishing and the listed costs of many ingredients is fascinating. If you're interested in the way people lived in the 19th century, I think you'd love it. And I have a copy of the wartime Christmas cookbook from World War II by Megan Rogers, showing how resourceful people can be when they need to, with luxuries rare and the basics rationed. How about some mock crab for your Christmas brunch? You have to melt half an ounce of margarine in a saucepan, beat two eggs and then add them to the margarine and basically just scramble the eggs. And when you're done, add an ounce of cheese, a dessert spoon of salad dressing, a few drops of vinegar, salt and pepper. And that's it. Use it as a salad filling or serve it on toast and pretend that it's crab. There's also a recipe for mock goose in there too, which uses potatoes, apples, cheese and sage. It's so inspiring to see how people made something of so little and focused on the meaning of Christmas instead of obsessing over the perfect roast. Lastly, I'd like to share two of my favourite recipes that I make most years. The first was originally from a wonderful slim book called Chocolates, Sweets and Candies by Sarah Ainley. The book is over 20 years old and I'm not even sure if it's still in print, but I've had it all that time and I love it because it's full of recipes that make great sweet treats um, which you can turn into beautiful gifts. This particular recipe I'm going to share now is for peppermint chocolate sticks, which remind me of the after-dinner after square mints that used to be a real luxury growing up in the 80s. 
Um, you can get them in supermarkets for next to nothing now, but um, they used to be a treat, certainly in my house. Um, and maybe it's the fact that they're connected to a memory that makes me love these uh, peppermint sticks so much. Perhaps you'd like to give it a try. Um, this recipe does include desiccated coconut, which I'm not actually a fan of, but you can't taste the coconut uh, once these sticks are made. So if you want to have a go, you will need 115 grams or four ounces of granulated sugar, two and a half mil or half a teaspoon of peppermint essence or peppermint extract, 200 grams or seven ounces of plain chocolate. I like to use a really good one like green and blacks or something like that. And then 60 mil of desiccated coconut. Um, you want to toast that off in a dry pan um, for a little bit first, uh, just to give it that lovely toasty flavour. So it's really easy. You just grease a baking sheet and then put the sugar in a pan with 150 ml, a quarter pint of uh, water and heat it gently, stirring it occasionally until the sugar has dissolved. Then you want to bring it to the boil and boil it rapidly without stirring it until the syrup reaches 138 degrees centigrade or 280 degrees Fahrenheit on a sugar thermometer. Then you take the pan off the heat, add the peppermint essence, pour it onto the baking sheet and then leave it until it's set and completely cold. And once it's cold, you break it up into a bowl and crush it into tiny pieces with the end of a rolling pin. Next, you want to melt your chocolate. So in a heat-proof bowl, and set that over a pan of barely simmering water. Obviously, break up the bar of chocolate and then heat it gently until it's melted, taking it off the heat and stirring in the bashed up peppermint and desiccated coconut after that to give it a lovely texture. Then you want to lay a sheet of non-stick baking paper on a flat surface and spread your chocolate mixture all over it, leaving a narrow border all the way around to make a rectangle that's about 10 by eight inches. Leave that to set, and then when it's firm, use a sharp knife to cut it into thin sticks, about six centimeters or two and a half inches long. And there you are, you have your gorgeous peppermint sticks, which you can pack into small food safe bags and tie with a ribbon or make some little boxes and pop them in there. And of course, don't forget to keep some for yourself. I also love making mulled cider or spiced apple juice if you want a non-alcoholic version. And that's really easy. You just grate a few apples in a large pan, cover it with a litre or so of apple juice or cider and cook it until the fruit is soft. That should just be a few minutes. Then you add about 50 grams of brown sugar or a bit more if you like it really sweet. And then whatever Christmassy spices you like, such as grated nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, cloves, star anise which I learnt in the reading of the Calm Christmas audiobook for the States, um, is pronounced as star anise in America. That was a new fact for me. Um, but anyway, star anise or star anise, whichever you have, um, and even a squeeze of clementine juice, if you fancy, you can pop that in there. Um, and of course, all of those are to taste. Um, so just put the blend of um, spices in there that you love. Um, but I would say go easy on the cloves unless you absolutely love cloves. Just as Nigel Slater said, don't want too much. Um, then simmer that gently for half an hour to an hour and add more sugar if needed to your taste. And there you have some very lovely uh, mulled cider or spiced apple juice. I'd love to hear about your food memories and your favourite things to eat at Christmas. So do come and tell me over on Instagram at Beth Kempton. Okay. And our get-ahead tips for this week, um, just a few this week. We're getting closer to Christmas, um, but I know that you've been doing all sorts each week, getting ready. Um, so for this week, here we go. 
Um, ask those close to you what they most want to eat this year, as we've been saying, and use that as your starting point for planning. And you never know, they might actually surprise you with their answer. And then plan the meals over the holidays, including breakfast, lunches, snacks, drinks, etc., as well as dinner um, if you're having guests and nutritious meals that you could make ahead and freeze. Uh, remember to write your shopping list, check it works for your budget, put in your online order if you're ordering online or set aside to do the shopping. Um, and don't forget that some guests might not want to drink, so you might want to plan a lovely non-alcoholic festive punch or a mocktail or try my um, spiced hot apple. Um, enjoy some time exploring Christmas recipe books and pick a couple of things you definitely want to make this year. It's a great time to give your house a good clean if you love that fresh feeling for Christmas. And if you have some space for reflection this week, remember you can get free access to my Perfectly Imperfect 2021 planner with every copy of Calm Christmas. You just need to go to bethkempton.com forward slash Christmas and pop your receipt details in there and then you'll get instant access to that digital planner for 2021 um, along with a lovely winter visualisation and my guide to creating a seasonal retreat. That's all at bethkempton.com forward slash Christmas. In terms of last posting dates from the UK, uh, Wednesday the 16th of December is the last date for posting Christmas posts to Austria, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Slovakia, Spain, Switzerland. And Friday the 18th of December is the last posting date for Belgium, France, Ireland and Luxembourg. Also here in the UK, uh, Friday the 18th of December is the last day for second class Christmas post um, domestically. And Monday the 21st of December is the last day for first class Christmas post um, for anything you want to arrive before Christmas in the UK. I hope you've enjoyed this episode all about festive food. I don't know about you, but I am definitely hungry now. I'm going to be back next week with a very special show about loneliness, sadness and grief at this time of year. Until then, I'll leave you with the words of Joan Anderson from her book A Year by the Sea, Thoughts of an Unfinished Woman. Figuring out we get to experience only 70 or 80 Christmases in a lifetime, I'm determined to enjoy this one my way, no matter who is or isn't around. I read somewhere that the French woman's role is to please others, but to please herself in the process. This concept is new for me, that my own joy is my responsibility. Only I can receive it, and likewise only I can allow others to take it away. Not this Christmas. I've had my fill of bleak midwinters and now set my sights on joy. You've been listening to the Calm Christmas Podcast with me, Beth Kempton. For more inspiration and ideas, cosy up with a copy of my book, Calm Christmas and Happy New Year, a little book of festive joy. It's available now from all good bookshops or listen to the audiobook, read by me. Wishing you a calm Christmas and a happy new year.